If you would please take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 21. John chapter 21 this morning. It has been a very long time, many, many years, since I have had anything to do with what is called a pulpit committee. You all know what a pulpit committee is? This church has never had one, so... Uh, But a pulpit committee, you may know, is a group of men and sometimes women selected from a congregation which is in need of a new pastor, a church which uh, has lost its pastor and needs a new one. The pastor, most of the time, has gone on to a bigger church, uh, more money or whatever, and sometimes not the case, but... Uh, A church that needs a new pastor has this thing called a pulpit committee, and it is their job to go through resumes that the church may receive to decide which candidate may or may not be the one that seems like a right fit for their church. And they look at the resumes and they see what the pastor's background is, his education, his experience. And they then gather together these men and they have an interview. A pulpit committee sits down and interviews the candidate to uh, speak to them and to see whether or not they would be the one that would fit in their church. Now, like I said, it's been a long, long time since I've had anything to do with pulpit committees. But I seem to remember hearing about some of the questions that are asked in these interviews. And I do remember some myself. And some of the questions that are focused on during most of the interviews in churches today are things like, How often do you visit families in the congregation?" Or, what day do you set aside to visit people? Then there are things like, what kind of programs do you believe would work to build our church? What programs do you like to use to build a church? I also recall asked more than once, our services end at noon. You don't go beyond that, do you? I, I remembered that one. <laughs> we stop at noon here, preacher. You don't go past that, do you? Now, one thing that I don't recall ever being asked was, What is your system of theological beliefs? What is your statement of faith? Do you hold to the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith? And I don't believe I was ever asked, this is something that should always be asked, do you believe that the Bible is God's inspired infallible and complete revelation to man? And would you preach from that Bible every Sunday to feed our flock? No, they don't ask that. What days do you visit? Not what do you believe? I I know I've never been asked, 
do you use systematic theology and biblical theology in the preparation of your messages from God's Word to bring to your people? Never, never got asked that. Let me ask you, what is a pastor supposed to do? What is a pastor supposed to be? Now, the series that we are engaged in, the ongoing work of the resurrected Christ, does not deal with the call to the pastoral ministry. But what we are seeing here from John chapter 21 and our Lord's dealing with the Apostle Peter, and remember, it wasn't just Peter by himself, The other ten were there. They all heard this interaction between Jesus and Peter. They all got the lesson that Jesus was teaching to Peter. But they were here in what we called from this passage, his appearance on the shore of Tiberias, which you remember is just the Sea of Galilee. Same thing. That was the Roman. Tiberius was the Roman name for the Sea of Galilee. Verse 1 of John 21 says that it is at the Sea of Tiberius. It's the same sea, Sea of Galilee. And he's appeared here to the disciples for at least the third time collectively. He's appeared to them here. He's on the shore. We went through all the happened in them recognizing him. But what we're looking at is his care for his church by giving leaders to his church. And part of that involved the restoration of Peter. You remember Peter said, even if all others shall fall away, I will never fall away. And Jesus says, you will deny me three times. And Jesus was right. Jesus is always right. But Peter indeed denied that he even knew Jesus three times, with cursing even, denied that he knew him. And so here in the restoration of this servant, we pointed out that God did not cast off this one who sinned, as churches are so often do. They shoot their own wounded rather than caring for them and loving them, and lovingly restore them to the faith. This is what our Lord did. This is what we should do. But he asks them three times, do you love me? The first time, do you love me more than these? Because of what he said. Even if the others fall away, I will not. Well, do you love me more than these? you really think so? You denied me three times. They didn't. And he said, yes, Lord, I love you. And Jesus says, tend my sheep. He says a second time, Simon, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Shepherd my sheep. And he says to them a third time, Peter, do you love me? Actually, Simon, do you love me? And he says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And then he says, feed my sheep. And what we are seeing here in this restoration of Peter, is that Jesus is teaching him and teaching the other disciples that they are not to be out fishing on the lake for literal fish. 
They are to be doing what He had taught them to do for three years, to be fishers of men. And so He is teaching them that they are to do what they have been called to do. Now we saw from verse 15 that the word that Jesus uses when He says to Peter, then tend my sheep, it's translated tend in the New American Standard. It is more accurately translated feed in the King James Version and some others. It is the Greek word basko, and it means actually from the root to graze. And so he's saying more literally in the Greek, be ye grazing my sheep. Feed works a little better in our English today. So feed my sheep. But in this case, he calls them lambs. And we made the point that he uses the word lambs, meaning those smaller, tender, younger ones. And again, he's not talking about literal little bat lambs. He's talking about the younger, perhaps new converts in the church. The tender ones in the care of a shepherd in God's church. The newly saved or the children that are in the church. Or even perhaps how we would deal with the lost. Don't forget to feed the lambs. Don't overlook the lambs. Don't shoot over their heads with your sermons or your lessons. Remember the lambs. And then from verse 16, where we left off last week, he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then he says, shepherd my sheep. Now here the King James has it wrong, because the King James again says feed. But that is not the word. The word here is totally different. Poimino, and it is to govern, to lead to instruct, to rule, to tend. It is often translated tend. So this speaks of the general leadership of the flock. And we made the point that sheep need shepherds. They're very apt to run off, to stray, to go aside, to go away. They don't know what to eat. They don't know where to eat. They don't know how to get to the lake or to the river, to the stream, to drink. They need a shepherd to lead them. And so Jesus says here to Peter and to the other ten, shepherd my sheep. Be the leader in the congregation. Peter, you're going to be the leader in a lot of ways to the early Christian church. Men are going to look up to you. You have to be a leader. We're going to get into some of this in a moment. But one of the greatest needs in the church today are men who are leaders and shepherds. And I'm not talking about leaders in gimmicks. I'm not talking about men who are leaders in programs. Men who can just get people to come in and build a church. I'm talking about leaders who will lead flocks in the word and truth of God. To lead them into righteousness, holiness, godliness. Peter, shepherd, my sheep. And here he does use the term sheep. Older ones, 
mature ones, people who are indeed saved by the grace of God and in the church. Jesus knew that his church, his sheep, would need under shepherds to lead them because he was going back to glory very soon. He was going to leave the disciples, the apostles, and he knew that the sheep would need under shepherds. And so he's teaching them, do what a shepherd does. Lead them, guide them, protect them. And now we come to verse 17, where he again says, feed them. This is the same word that he uses in verse 15, where he says, basco, graze them. Be ye grazing my sheep. He uses that same word. It is to supply the needs of the soul. Remember, he's not talking about literal sheep. He's talking about Christians. He's talking about the Christian church. He's talking about people. And so when he says, feed my sheep, he's speaking about supplying the needs of their soul. Pasture them. Give them good food. Feed them what? My word. Feed them my word. Now I want to take a little time today to consider this aspect. To consider this whole principle given in the word of God. This principle is deep rooted in the scriptures. God says that his priests, his leaders will shepherd his people. Will shepherd the people of Israel and will shepherd the church. If you would, please take your Bibles and look at Psalm 23. One of, if not the most familiar psalm in all of the Bible. Psalm 23. This is how deep-rooted this whole principle of shepherding is in the Word of God. Here in Psalm 23, you can probably recite it from memory, but we have the promise of God to shepherd Israel. He says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. God ultimately is the shepherd to his people. And what we have been seeing even in the adult Sunday school class in the last couple of weeks is the fulfillment of this is none other than Jesus Christ. You read this very clearly in John chapter 10 as Jesus shows himself to be the great shepherd, the true shepherd of the people of Israel that he calls out from Israel and the Gentiles that he calls in to this new flock, Greeks and Gentiles and Jews, together with Jesus Christ, the true shepherd of this flock. But this goes all the way back in Scripture. And here David says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Why? Because as God is your shepherd, you are led 
to good food, good pasture. Look what he says. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me, what? In the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. God is the one who will lead his people to green pastures, to lush and beautiful places where they can graze, where they can feed, where they can eat of the good food. Remember, be ye pasturing, grazing my sheep. And so here he makes me to lie down in green pastures where you would graze. He is the one who leads and guides to good places, good food, and where they can drink, where they can drink deep from the well of God. Now, let me ask this. I'm implying it. But what does good pasture mean to God's people? What does this mean to us? And even really, what did it mean to David and the people of Israel when he says he leads me beside, well, he leads me to good pastures and beside the still waters. It's a place where they would feed. It's a place where they would drink. But what is he talking about when he speaks of this great provision to them? It's not physical eating and not physical drinking. It is the provision of God, of His mercy, of His grace, of His salvation. You follow the great shepherd and He leads you to the place of grace and mercy to your souls. The love And the greatness of God is made evident as He shepherds His people and guides them to the place where they understand and realize His grace, His mercy, His love, and ultimately His salvation as fulfilled in Christ. It is the fullness of God's grace culminating in the sacrificial work of Christ. It is the redeeming work of God to give to His people eternal life in glory. That's good pasture. That's where you graze. And that's when you are beside the still or the quiet waters. Quiet waters because it makes it easy for the sheep to go there. And to drink from the waters because they're quiet or still. They're not rough and tough. and It's just you go there and you drink deeply from the grace and the mercy of God through Christ. Now, let me ask you this. A couple of questions for you here. Where do we learn of the grace and mercy of God? We do so... From his word. And the Bible actually, in many occasions, or several occasions, speaks of the word of God as food for the believer. 
So we go to the Word, and the Word is where we find food. The Apostle Paul, or the writer to the Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter uh, 5 even says that the Word is solid food. That we should be taking solid food, the meat instead of the milk. The Scriptures are shown to be, the Word of God is shown to be solid food or meat. And so Jesus was saying to Peter, be sure that my sheep are fed my word. It is my word that they need, Peter. He wasn't talking about making sure that they had bread. He wasn't talking to Peter and saying, make sure that your church has a love feast or a meal every Sunday. Or make sure you serve cake on certain Sundays. He's talking about feeding them the rich, wonderful word of life, the scriptures, the Bible, the truth. Now, let me ask you a question. Don't you know that Jesus knew that Peter would be involved in the writing of the New Testament? I mean, Peter was intricately intricately involved in the writing of the New Testament. Most believe that it is uh, Peter that Mark spoke to predominantly when Mark wrote his gospel. That much of what he gleaned for the gospel came from Peter. And of course, we have the epistles from Peter in the New Testament. And the influence of Peter in the book of Acts. Jesus knew that there would not be just the Old Testament scriptures, but the New Testament would be written. And that his sheep would need his word. Feed my sheep. This is what he's telling Peter. Feed my sheep. Bring them to good pasture. Let them drink deeply from the word of God. Teach my sheep the full measure of grace. That the Messiah has come. That he has died and given his life a ransom for many. Teach my sheep. Shepherd my flock. Be sure that they have the solid food of my word. This is what Peter is learning from Jesus. This is what the apostles were learning as Jesus is saying, feed my sheep. Let me also show you this, that God promised to give his people shepherds. Look over to Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, and chapter 3. Jeremiah 3, look down to verse 15. Then I will give you shepherds after my own heart. After my own heart. First of all, what does that mean? Shepherds who love God. Shepherds who love His Word. What was God always trying to do? Always trying to give to Israel. Look at what He said to Moses. Uh, You know, I, I lay before you life and death. Follow my word and it will be well for you. If you turn away from it, there will be judgment for you. I'm giving you life in my word. 
I'm giving you what you need to live and to exist as a people of mine to show men and women that I am true and holy God as they see your life. Follow my word. Follow my ways. That would be people after God's own heart. People who love Him, who love His word, who love His ways. And what will they do? Shepherds, again, leading the people, guiding the people, tending the people. Shepherds after my own heart, who will feed you. Feed you. They will be careful to make sure that the people of God are fed. And what will they feed them? On knowledge and understanding. Knowledge and understanding. Here's the heart, people. Shepherds are to feed the flock of God knowledge and understanding. And so I ask you, do you think there's much knowledge and understanding of the Word of God in sermons that are nothing more than stories and jokes, homilies, where the Bible isn't even used, let alone expounded? When the preacher stands up there and says, God, uh, God wants you to be your best now. Live your best life now. You just go on and do good and be happy and God will bless you. Is that what the Word of God says? And we have these people that are looked up to and adored and given to by multitudes who don't feed people knowledge and understanding in any way except maybe their own limited knowledge and their own false understanding. But a true shepherd, a shepherd like Peter, a shepherd like the other apostles, will give God the glory by feeding His people Knowledge and understanding. And knowledge and understanding of who? Knowledge and understanding of what? Of His Word. Of who God is. His self-revelation to man is what a true shepherd will teach his flock. And I am talking New Testament now. It's what church leaders will do. Feed the people with knowledge and understanding, truth, and the Word of God. God promised to give His people shepherds after His own flock, and they will feed His flock with knowledge and understanding. That is God's truth. We get that from God's holy Word. Jesus is telling Peter, you're to be like that. Andrew, John, Philip, Bartholomew, you are to be like this. Feed my sheep knowledge and understanding. And so I say to you people, the churches today need to be feeding their people the word of God. Knowledge and understanding. Or here's the consequences. Turn to Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah 23. God speaks to His false shepherds. God speaks to these men who are wolves in sheep's clothing. 
And he says, Woe to you shepherds! This is verse 1 of Jeremiah 23. Woe to you shepherds! And woe is a statement of displeasure and judgment from God. Woe to you shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the shepherds who are tending my people. You have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not attended to them. Behold, I am about to attend to you for the evil of all your deeds, declares the Lord. Then I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and bring them back to their pasture and they will be fruitful and multiply. But God promises judgment upon the shepherds who do not faithfully feed his flock with the knowledge and understanding of his word. He condemns them for not feeding them. Can you imagine God's displeasure with the so-called shepherds that are so popular in our day? Men who come before congregations and hordes of people like this Pope and make decrees that have nothing to do with his truth or his word. He is a blind guide leading the blind. And they will all fall into the pit of hell. Religion based upon works. Religion based upon tradition and not on truth. Can you imagine what God thinks of a man like Jesse Duplantis? that tells people in a congregational setting that God has come to him and asked him for his opinion. I heard him with my own ears, saw the video, where Jesse DePlantis stands there before a congregation. Yeah, yeah, God, God came to me. God said, Jesse, what should I do? He was talking about someone and, I, and, and he wanted to, to blot him out or whatever. And I said, no, God, no, no, no. Give me a little time to deal with him. Okay, Jesse, if you say so, I'll give you a little time. This is what he says. Can you imagine the audacity to say that God comes to you and asks your opinion? And this is what they teach congregations and people throw money at him? Can you imagine? I further heard him say that when God created the animals and all of the things on the earth, and this is so blasphemous, I don't even know how to say it. But he said it. God didn't even know what he made. He said, God created a horse. And God didn't know it was a horse. God didn't know what it was. God didn't know anything about it. And it wasn't even alive. And he takes it 
over to, to Adam, and Adam makes it alive. And Adam gives it a name. God didn't know what it was, but Adam did. Can you imagine the blasphemy and the heresy? And this is what they teach. False shepherds feeding lies. Fleecing the flock rather than feeding it. Joel Osteen writes a book, Your Best Life Now. And I think the greatest commentary on that was given by MacArthur. And he said, there's only one way that this can be your best life now. And that's if after this you go to hell. And he's right. This is not, it cannot be your best life if you're a Christian. That comes in eternity when you're in glory with God. Kenneth Copeland, one of the greatest heretics of our time, actually said, asking his people, who is the biggest failure in the Bible? Who is the biggest failure? In all of the Bible. And maybe you're thinking to yourselves, well, was it Saul? Or or was it Satan? And Kenneth Copeland tells his people, it was God. God is the biggest failure in the Bible, according to Kenneth Copeland. Can you imagine the heresy? The utter lunacy? Why would you follow A God who is the biggest failure. And why would you give a man like that money to have several jets and planes? The richest shyster on television. God is the biggest failure, is what he teaches his flock. I also heard him say, God needs you to be rich. This is what these guys teach. The health, wealth, prosperity, name it, claim it, gospel. I heard one man say that there's no need for adjectives or modifiers to the gospel. It's just the gospel. And if you put a modifier or an adjective in front of it, you don't need it. You're ruining it. But all these things have this health and wealth, prosperity, name it, claim it gospel, the easy believism gospel. You know what? I almost disagree with that guy. Because it's gotten so bad today that we do need a modifier. It's called the historic gospel. What used to be preached from the word of God. What used to be known as the gospel. Because it's so foreign to churches today that it's gone. You have to identify what you believe. I believe in the historic gospel. The gospel of the Bible. The gospel that used to be preached in churches. Until men like Ken Copeland. And men like Joel Osteen. And men like Creflo Dollar. Who says we are not just humans. We are all little gods. We are all divine who also proposed shooting people who did not give their tithe. 
Imagine, he actually proposed getting out Uzis and AK-47s and lining up everyone in the church who did not tithe and shooting them. This is what you teach your congregation as a shepherd? This is heresy and blasphemy. And dare I stray only into the health and wealth? Well, what about Rick Warren? Rick Warren teaches his congregation that it is almost impossible to be lost. That's what he said. It is almost impossible for anyone to be lost. You have to try really hard to be lost. I suddenly remember Jesus saying, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to be saved. What shall we do, the apostles said. With man it's impossible, but with God it's possible. These things are contrary to the Word of God, not supporting the Word of God. I seem to also remember Jesus saying that broad is the road, wide is the road, that leads to destruction, and many are on it. And few are on the narrow road. These people are heretics. They are not Christian leaders. They are lost. They are shysters. They are fleecing the flock of God, and they're not even the flock of God. They're unwitting followers who are being led to hell, being duped out of their money by these men. Look at Ezekiel 34. This describes them very well. Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34, verse 1, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Woe, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherd feed the flock? You eat the fat. And clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. This describes these guys very aptly. They feed themselves and not the flock. In one of the churches that I pastored many years ago, I found out, unknowing to me that there was a woman in the church who was giving her tithe to one of these guys, sending her money to one of these shysters. No matter what I tried to tell her, it didn't matter. I also heard of another person from that same church, I believe, but not a member of the church, of one that they knew whose house had recently been burned down And they lost everything. This woman had been giving to one of these shysters on television. And she wrote and said, can you help me? My house burned down and I lost everything. I've been sending money to you and supporting you for years. Can you help me? They wrote back and said, you can just imagine, go to your local church. Ask them. Wolves in sheaves' clothing, stealing from unsuspecting people, 
and leading them to hell. But there are so many others. It's not just these famous ones. There are churches all over, all over here, that teach heresy, easy believism. We used to have billboards, I know they may still be there, of a church somewhere around here, had billboard up there, it said, try Jesus. What? Try Jesus? What is he, a shirt? <laughs> try this on, see if it fits, see if you like it, see how you look. Well, I tried Jesus, I didn't like him. It's like they're selling, peddling the gospel, peddling Jesus like he's a car. Try Jesus, maybe you'll like it. Like Alka-Seltzer, try it, you'll like it. This stuff is heresy, blasphemy. We're talking about eternal God, the Son of God, the spotless Lamb of God. Try Jesus. All of these congregations with their easy believism. Oh, just come on down the aisle. Jesus will cure you of all your illness. Jesus will help your wallet and your pocketbook and your bank account. Just come on down. Any problems that you have, he'll make it all go away. You'll be all better. Just come down the aisle. Come to Jesus. Raise a hand. Do you love your mother? Raise a hand. All these ridiculous things that go on in churches in the name of Christianity. And Jesus says to Peter, feed my sheep. Knowledge and understanding. Knowledge and understanding are to be what we're being given. So many places today don't even use the Bible. How many times have I told you? of places where I've visited and seen, where the pastor might read a verse and then put the Bible there, just like that, and it stays there. And they never refer to it again. They never bring a verse. They never show what they're saying, supported by the Scripture, because they just say what they want. They tell their stories. They give their jokes. They don't even use the Bible. One of the biggest churches in our entire area I went to a few years ago. Never even used the Bible. And you'd know the church if I named it. Big church. Nobody had a Bible walking in. And I think they flashed one verse up on a screen and that was it. But you never had to use your Bible. Look at Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Here's who these birds are. Acts chapter 20. Paul is giving his farewell to the people of Ephesus. Verse 25, Now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. You think Joel Osteen will be able to say that? Do you think Jesse DePlantis will be able to say that? I am innocent of the blood of all men. Why, Paul? For I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole purpose or the whole counsel of God. In other words, all of God's word. Even the hard stuff, Joel. Even the stuff that calls men sinners. 
Even the stuff that mentions hell. Even the parts of the Bible that speak about judgment. Jesus did. Why don't you? Be on guard for yourselves and for the, all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which He purchased with His own blood. What a responsibility. You don't want to mess that up. Shepherding the flock of God which He purchased with His own blood. And look at His warning in verse 29. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day, for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one of you with tears. Wolves will come in. And they will look like sheep. They'll come into your flock and they will look just like sheep. That's where we get the term wolves in sheep's clothing. Be on your guard. Now, who's going to be on their guard? The true shepherd will. The hireling will run away when he sees the wolf. You won't want to deal with those issues in church. You don't want to deal with sin. You don't want to deal with issues that, that arise in the church. You just want, oh, 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 just, 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 can we all get along? That's not what a shepherd is called to do. A shepherd is called to lead. A shepherd is called to give God's word, to teach God's word, and to guard the flock from wolves. And unfortunately, So many have fallen for these wolves. So many have fallen for what they peddle in their message of health and wealth. And they're being fleeced by wolves and they don't even know it. And this is what Paul says. Preach the whole counsel of the word of God and then your conscience is clear from the blood of all men. May not have a big church. May not have the, the doors being kicked down by people. Oh, I can't wait to get here to hear about how sinful I am. May not have that. But at least I'll be free from the blood of all of you. As I tell you the truth about sin and death and hell and heaven. The whole counsel of the word of God. Jesus told Peter to feed the sheep. You want to see whether Peter got the message? Look at 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. Verse 1. Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight and not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, and not as lording it over those allotted to your charge." 
but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You hear what Peter says? Now look back to John 21, verse 15. Yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Verse 16. Yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he said to him, shepherd my sheep. Verse 17. Being grieved because he said to him a third time, Do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Based upon what we just read in 2 Peter or in 1 Peter chapter 5, I believe Peter got it. Shepherd the flock. Not for sordid gain. Not lording it over them but as a tender shepherd who remembers the lambs, who leads the sheep, who provides for them good food from the Word of God. I wanted to get into some of the other things that are said about the pastor in the congregation and what the pastor is to do. It'll have to wait for another message. But this is what Jesus taught Peter. This is what the Word of God teaches us. And I pray that we will always be the kind of church that is careful to have a shepherd who will shepherd and feed the sheep and never let wolves in, especially never let them hear. Because if you let them hear, the whole place will be gone. Let's pray that God will use His Word as we bring it faithfully to the sheep week by week. Let's pray.